Hello and welcome to Little Inspirations with me, Declan Lawn. This is a podcast about the things in our lives, some big, some little, that help us get through those difficult times, the things that inspire us. So it could be anything from your favourite piece of art to a poem that just sticks in your head, a song that gives you strength, or that movie that you can just watch again and again. It's a podcast about the little building blocks of our well-being, the things that we rely on. Every week I'll be talking to a range of guests from various fields, from politics to the arts, business and academia. The show is made in conjunction with Inspire Wellbeing. My guest today is a sportsman who, at just 24 years of age, has fought some epic battles both on and off the field. His success last season with Antrim Hurlers winning the Joe McDonough Cup is all the more remarkable because of what came before it, a descent into alcohol addiction and then the long, slow battle to reclaim his life. In many ways, it's a story that's worthy of a movie. Welcome to the podcast, Donald Nugent. How are you? I'm great, Declan. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm delighted to talk to you as a a hurling fan and a hurling coach myself. Um, To have you on is a great honour because like, what a year it was for Antrim. Oh, it was great. That was amazing. I suppose, especially given everything that was in the year, you know, with COVID and things like that, and then the upset in the league and we were waiting a long time in the league final coming around and you know, it was we were come, becoming very impatient at times. But, you know, it was great to bring so much joy back home to people sitting in their houses, you know, um, throughout and the live streams and stuff like that. And the amount of messages and, and, and social media um, notifications and stuff you were getting like throughout the year. It was brilliant just to bring a wee bit of happiness to the, the homes and the families, you know, because they were going through such a tough time. That's it. Exactly. Exactly that. It, you know, this year in particular, for that to happen this year in particular, of course, we all felt we wanted to be there and, and you know, we couldn't be in the numbers that we wanted to be. But for that to happen this year with Antrim was just such a lift for everybody, who, you know, when we were all going through a tough time. Why, why do you think things went right with the team this year? What, what connected? What clicked? Well, to be fair, well, this is the first, that, that was the first year Darren Gleason was in as mm. the manager. Um, and it's the first year, obviously, I've been involved in a way. But the whole, the, when I was first called on the Antrim team in 2016 and comparing it 16 to 2020, I'm just speaking for myself, like it felt very much like a club team, that, that sort of club atmosphere, you know, there was no sort of politics or anything like that, um, which would normally probably be, be associated with, with county teams um, in the past of Antrim. So there was none of that tackling and... You know, everyone just jailed and everyone got on the best. And, you know, when you say politics, do you mean kind of uh, inter-club rivalry, that kind of thing? Probably, yeah. I think the rivalry, and it's obviously well documented, and the club championship that we have is is so nip and tuck, isn't it? And it's so competitive. And I thought maybe in the past, the players have maybe not not played for the county for that reason, Mm. um, or maybe brought it into the county panel where they're a wee bit distant with certain with certain people, um, but no, this year, sorry, last year, it was just brilliant, you know, the whole the whole field to it. And a huge credit, I suppose, has to go to Darren Gleeson for doing that, you know, for bringing everyone together um, and facilitating the whole thing. And the mm-hmm. fact that everyone did come together, like you've seen it on the pitch, like everyone, would, they were really good down for each other. Like, yeah, um, I, so I, I, just got, 
that that video and those pictures of of uh, you and him at the end, where uh, you both fall to the ground, it's it's iconic. You know, it's just going to be iconic yeah. for years now. Yeah, um, it was amazing. Uh, even even just touch it, like there's there was a lot more to that picture than just winning a Joe McDonald. I suppose, like you know, Darren's been on his journey, and I suppose I've been on my own journey. You know, and just looking at each other after that, there's tears in our eyes. You know, it was it was just an amazing feeling. The key, not just. I suppose not just hurling and the coaching he's helped me like off the field for the last what two years now he's been he's been brilliant to me like so there was a lot more to that than just a, a, a success in Crook Park which was amazing but I, I suppose it was that sort of what did at the moment everything was worth it you know all the all the sort of I don't know if there were problems or maybe struggles we had off the pitch but you know it was all worth it that day yeah it was amazing well let, let's talk about those struggles and, and your own struggles um first of all I suppose bring, bring me right back to your childhood, um, growing up in Belfast, what was that like? I mean, were you a happy kid? You you were obviously from the get go a very talented sportsman. You played GAA both codes, um, played uh, De La Salle uh, there three years um, on their All Star panel. So obviously, sport was something at the centre of your life. Were you generally happy or or not? Um, not. Not really, Declan, but uh, like I, I grew up, I came from um, a broken marriage. Mum um, and dad split up um, before, probably before I was even born. I was very young anyway. Um, so I always sort of struggled with that, you know, being stuck in between. And and, 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 and uh, you, you probably see it a lot with kids now, and I work with kids, you know, and it was probably, I was growing up probably who said the I choose rather than it was you're sort of in a family environment. And I, 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 subconsciously, I struggled a lot with that. And um, I was always sort of looking attention and looking loved, you know, of either one of them. Or, and I, then if I wasn't getting it, like I would have got a tr- in trouble a lot in school, you know, would have acted out. And I wasn't really fully aware of them traits of behaviours until I actually went to later on and get myself sorted eventually that I, I was doing that just, just to get attention, you know. But I suppose sport, was probably an outlet growing up um, and I love sport and was really good at it, um, probably naturally. Um, but and then it got to this stage for sometimes then that then behaviours in schools were then going into sports and I was getting sent off and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. All, all simply because um, I probably wasn't getting enough tension and, <clears throat> and probably not getting enough love. And I'm not ashamed to really say it now. Like if, I wouldn't have said it two years ago, do you know, but that's probably deep down. That's always what I was looking for was someone for that bit of attention and that bit of loving. And then I never really probably fully got it because I was sort of in between two sort of families, you know. It's funny, though, isn't it? Because if you look at it on paper, uh, you know, someone someone else looking in at your life, you were head boy, weren't you, at, mm-hmm. at De La Salle? So you say that you would have acted out a lot and yet, yet you're head boy. Um, and you're also this incredibly gifted and talented sportsman. So a lot of people would have been looking at you and thinking, "Well, you've got it made. Like you've got pretty, you've got it all going on there." Like definitely. And to be to be totally honest, towards the, the later years in school, towards fifth, sixth, and seventh year, I sort of I got my head down a bit and 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 worked hard, and then I became head boy. But Declan, it was it was it was all an act, even at that age, even at seventeen and eighteen, like. 
and the best way that I just, I described it before before to someone like you see that advert on the on the on the TV you know when the guy's out partying with all his mates and he come and he comes home and pulls a mask off in front of the mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, that was basically me at that age, like I, just pretending everybody that I did have it all figured out, and the results did. Like the results should spoke for themselves too. I suppose we're getting the all colleges all stars and getting my GCSEs and my A levels, and you know, head boy and things were things. You know, say that looking in did look amazing, and I suppose people did look up to me and want to be me. But deep down, I had I had real underlying issues issues. From a very young age, things that happened to me that you know personal things that I never that I haven't spoken about before. Like, but um, it's just uh, it, it definitely can you say looking in it that my life did look very fulfilled, but it was far far from it. That like it was going home and sleepless nights and things like that. And I didn't like myself. I hated myself, even though everyone probably loved me. Yeah. I hated that. I hated that person that was looking back at me in the mirror. So, what did alcohol? do for you when that came into the equation well i first i had my first drink when i was 18 um and it was in around that age we were going to formals and stuff like that and i didn't think i didn't really think much of it and then after um after school i went to st mary's teaching college in the falls road and um that's whenever i was really sort of introduced to drink and it really it gave me an unbelievable outlet where I could pretend to be someone else um, at the start. Um, like going out, once I got a couple of drinks in me, it gave me this new lease of life. It gave me a confidence around maybe women and things like that. And that sort of arrogance or maybe cockiness. Um, yeah. But it, it, took, it took away or stimulated or, or eased, or, I don't know, frozen a lot of my problems that I was thinking about it in my head you know, until maybe the next day and then problems come back again. So what happens when they come back again? You drink to try and make them go away. Mm. And then all of a sudden this was happening every single day. And then before I knew it, by the time I was 20, and say the probably a two-year period, it was, I was drinking every day. Were you? you? Know, so I was there. This, this is one of the things I think that, that interests people who are not alcoholics, who, you know, who maybe take a drink or maybe don't, but... but to hear stories like yours where, um, so obviously a lot of young men between 18 and 20 drink a lot. They binge drink, they drink at weekends, they, you know, they make bad life decisions. But did you realize quietly, even internally, did you realize at some point then I am different to what my friends are doing here? What, what, like what I'm doing is different, materially different. Did, did you know that even then? Not, not, not at an early stage, Declan, not really, no. When, when I was in university, I spent, I spent a year in St. Mary's and then not, not particularly, but I knew what I was doing wasn't right. But there was a lot of people who I was associating myself with. What they were doing probably wasn't right either. Mm. Um, and that's, the, a, that, that's, a, a, that's a trait that an alcoholic would have from going to meetings and stuff that they would, they would associate themselves with people who are like-minded basically other alcoholics to make themselves feel normal, uh-huh. you know? So I didn't, it's probably maybe subconsciously I was, I made a new that I was, I was burying problems instead of talking about them, stuff like that. But in terms of the word alcoholic or the things like that, no, definitely not. I thought it was someone land in Castle street in the town was an yeah. alcoholic. Yeah. Like a street drinker. 
Yeah, end of story. That's that. That's what I. That's what I always associate it with an alcoholic, not someone who's nineteen or twenty, yeah. still sort of knocking in and around county teams and still sort of doing okay. You know. Well, so on that point, um, so so you start drinking kind of socially in the way that university students tend to do. But over, over the course of months and a couple of years, it becomes more and more and more frequent, even to the point of every day. What, what, what effect did that have on your sport? Massive, massive effect. Um, from my was in St. Mary's, in say the two-year period, I probably put on about three stone and weight. Really? Yeah. Um, the drinking and then when the drinking, automatically you're just eating crap and takeaways and stuff like that. And yeah, it, it, it had a massive impact because when you think about it, whenever I was upper six, I was playing center half back for Antrim senior hurlers. Mm-hmm. And a year later, I was maybe, sorry, about 18 months later, I was three stone heavier than I was when I left school and I was nowhere near a county team. So Did the downfall you- was unbelievable. And, and I sort of was like, ah, sure, whatever. Do you know, I didn't. I didn't care about it, you know what I mean? I didn't care about me. I didn't care about the abuse I was sort of giving my body. It just, uh, it, it, it didn't, it didn't bother me really. Like, were other people in your life raising it with you explicitly and saying, you know, you've put on weight or you're not as fit as you used to be, or every, every, most days, and that 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 probably made it even worse. That when, even though then people were trying to help, I was going. If someone said to me, "Oh, you're drinking too much," and I'm sort of thinking to myself, "I show you drinking," you know, <laughs> and that's and and then and then people were really really good people, people in St John's, even when I transferred to Lavyard, people in Lavyard, um, you know, people in university. I was, you know, there was a lot of other people who were there to try and help me, even my friends, but I, d- I didn't listen to it. I didn't want the help back then, you know. It didn't. It was me against the world, and I just didn't care what other people thought. No. And how how did the the drinking itself spiral? I mean, how what, what did it come to? It, it, how did it, it? I think I touched on it there, and I the, the thing about the internal problems in the head, the fact that it was um the fact the very fact that it was numbing that pain, and every day whenever you're going up, you know yourself like any, any ordinary person, you get a hangover, you have bad thoughts or whatever. Or what did I do last night or whatever? But I was getting these bad bad visions and stuff and flashbacks in the mind and 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 i was drinking again to numb that and that was going on and on and it ended up the fact that fast forward until i was 22 it ended i ended up on the street i was one of them people who i used to associate with being alcoholics you know because i didn't i wasn't totally honest with anyone daglin i was I was hiding away all my problems. I was hiding the drinking. At that stage, I stopped associating myself with friends or people or anyone. I was mm-hmm. in the pub on my own, in the corner, drinking. You know, as if I was a lot much older than than what I actually was. Do you know what I mean? That was it was it was terrible and skint, no money, um, just absolutely heartbroken. You know, and and the people around me, even my granny, and I, I, I told us before, like. I, I went up to McGranny's. It was one night I was uh, nowhere to go or anything, and I went up and, and slept McGranny's porch. And she opened the door one morning. And I'm laying there shaking, like you know, and the look in her face, Daglin, you know what I mean? She was heartbroken, absolutely heartbroken. Um, 
so, something that keeps me going, the look that day I seen her in her face, you know what I mean? If, if any day I'm sort of having a bad day, I would I would remember that and go cheapers. You were in a lot worse situations, you know, than what you are now. But it got me to very, very bad places, Dakin, yeah. The thing that strikes me about what you're saying there is uh, it sounds tortuous, but it, it must have been an incredibly lonely existence. Yeah. It, it, it was it was absolutely chaos. It, it wasn't right. I, I I was I was comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, being in that uncomfortable position, I was just like, it, it, it was very lonely. But I love being lonely. I want to be totally honest with that. I didn't want to be here. I wanted to be. I wanted to be dead. And 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 I thought that was just the best way to do it. Go and sit in the corner and don't annoy anyone. And just whatever happens to me happens to me. It was terrible. It was lonely, especially with being that person. That because in a two-year period, I went from a role model to the 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 people going, "Jesus, he's already let himself go," and that, and that that's kind of heartbreaking. Do you know what I mean? Because you're getting all that attention, and you and you you, you maybe I don't know your alter ego or something like that. You know, yes. it's it, it just your your whole ego and your whole confidence and everything. It's just on the ground. Like it's just see because this is the thing, isn't it? Like you, you grow up. You're, you know, you're playing for St. John's, you, um, you know, very gifted hurler. You're on the Antrim uh, panel in Upper Sixth. Everyone in the vicinity of West Belfast knows who you are. And then to be in a situation, as you say, two years later, where people think you've lost it, you know, you're, you're no longer fit, you're no longer capable of playing County Hurling, and you're, you're still only 22, that must have been incredibly difficult. And does that explain then why... First of all, you change clubs at one point, which is a massive deal. You go to England at one point to play. Uh, was it football or hurling you were playing in England? Was playing hurling in Warwickshire. Hurling in Warwickshire. Do, do you think in, in terms of those two moves that you were basically on the run? You were just running away from things? I was running away from a problem, Stackman. So the way we're talking about uh, earlier there, about whenever I was drinking, you know, effectively that's running away from your problems. Mm. But I then got this stage where I was physically running away from my problems. I was jumping on a plane. And, it, and I was still living off that Donald Legend of 18 or 19, where that's where I was getting these offers to go and play in England. You know, mm. they, they were they were going by that that Donald rather than what they were actually dealing with <laughs> then. Mm. you know what I mean? So it gave me a great excuse. And I went over to England. And don't get me wrong, the nicest people you'd ever meet, but that just caught me at a bad time. I went over there and was getting very well looked after, both work and playing, um, on a lot of money. Do you know, doing very, very well for myself. And every, every penny of it was just, it was getting spent on the bottle, like, or in the bar, or sitting in, sitting in my room with a bottle of whiskey, do you know, things like that. And mm. it was great because, great, I mean, as in, in a bad way, because there was nobody there, there was no family there, there was no mm. friends there that were able to say to me, what are you at? If I didn't go to work, it didn't matter. I was in my room with a bottle and that was it. The door was locked and that was me. So, so you would buy a bottle of whiskey in in your accommodation and I think you were in Birmingham, were you? Is that where you were? Yeah. yeah. And just just sit there all day and drink it, basically? Yeah, that would be me, yeah. Phone off, just just not even watching the TV, just sitting there and just, yeah. Another- not, you're not, you're not, sorry, Dagan, you weren't even living at that. I wasn't really living at that stage, you know what I mean? You're just floating along. Like yeah. you're just you're just an existence. Like you're just 
didn't want to talk to anybody, just completely depressed, like just just down and out, just didn't want to be here. Like, yeah. So here's a question that I suppose brings us to your um the things that have inspired you in your life, right? Many people with an addiction like that will continue down that road until they die. You know, that happens all the time. But there must have been something in you that clung to life and to the concept of, you know, ending this, not not that you can end the addiction, but that clung to life and to the prospect of recovery. What do you think that was? What, what, what kept you alive, basically? Well, first, firstly, me, me and my granny's relationship is 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 very very tight. Emer, my girlfriend, um, she was who I'm still very friendly with. She she was um, she was my rock at the time too. Like even though I messed her about a lot, you know, the cheating and land, I'd done a lot of bad things back then. But she still came back and sort of still tried to support me and. I have an uncle who lives with my granny, Eamon. Um, and you probably see it on, on the Twitter, Instagram or whatever. I put, we put up photos and videos all the time. And he's Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. And he, Eamon, is people, in AA, people talk about having a higher power and a God of your own believing or in your understanding. And I genuinely believe, even though Eamon is still alive, that he is my higher power, that he gives me that guidance and strength and like uh, he, I said, any he would never fall out of me. You know what I mean. He always had my back any time, and I would go in there. And even to this day, I go to my granny's every single day, and I would go in there and say I had a bad day today, and he would come in and give me a hug or whatever. And that that Eamon is keeps me ticking, and he he he's pulled me out of a lot of lot of holes, and I tell him all the time that, and he and he would get a tear in his eye and stuff like that. But I do, I love him the bits, and. I suppose looking back uh, and, and even looking at him and, and looking at myself, I was completely let myself go and, and, and put myself in an early grave. And I'm going to myself, well, if our Eamon was I'm not saying if he was normal, but if he, if he, if, if he had the, 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 if he was in the position that I was in, you know, he could be out there playing for Antrim or he could be doing, you know, and he can't, he physically can't. And that, that, that gave me a bit of a kick to get, to get going and to go and get help, um, which was tough. Like, but uh, but yeah, but so Eamon, Eamon, Eamon is is even this day, even going out and playing for Antrim, going out and playing for the club. I would see him, and it's just not me going out and playing. It's me and him. Like I'm doing it for both of us. I'm going to work for both of us because he would love to be out working too. Like you know, mm-hmm. so that's kept me going big time. And it's a, it's a it's a friendship and a relationship that. That, that means an awful lot to me. And what's your granny's first name? Mari. Mari. So Mari, your girlfriend Emer and Eamon, I guess, were the the three inspirations that that carried you through and that made you want to recover. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me then about that moment, or maybe it was a series of moments, where you decided enough is enough. I I have to. I have to do something here. What what exactly happened? Where were you? Were you in England? Were you back home? What happened? I was actually back home and I was transferred back to St. John's. Um, and I was walking. We were training one night, and I was walking. I was walking out out um down the lane with a rucksack. Like for the last six months from this time, I was walking about with the same rucksack, living out of a bag, and 
I remember one of the boys saying to me here, don't know, do you want to lift home? And I says, no, it's grand, I'll, I'll walk from. So, sorry, just to interrupt you there, yeah. you're, you're back with St. John's because you've transferred back from where? Lavyerg. From Lavyerg. So, yeah. I suppose people listen to this podcast who don't know the GAA, um, it, it's, a, it's, it's a very uh, unusual thing to transfer GAA clubs Unless you're moving house, basically, unless you're legitimately like, but but if you're in the same city or same area to, to go from one club to another, it's pretty unusual, isn't it? It doesn't happen, Declan. It 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 just doesn't happen. Um, but again, that was me. That was me running away. I'll, even if you want to, uh, that was me running away. Away whenever I went to Love York, and there was supposed there was that for anyone who doesn't know about it, like it's nearly if if it's in soccer contact context, it's, it's nearly like. A Clevenville Limfield transfer type of thing, isn't it? I suppose, and obviously we don't get paid or anything, so it's a lot more personal. Um, so do, doing that, and then we play. I played for Lavierg against St John's, my own club in a county football final. Yes. Um, where where Podrick, my brother, was in goal for St John's, and my my dad, Paddy, he was the manager for St John's, and I mid, I was midfield for Lavierg at that time, and that was very controversial. The whole lead up to it, um was it, I didn't it was it wasn't nice but it got this phase towards the end of the game where Podrick Lavier going up two points and Podrick put the ball down in the tee and I run 30 yards and booted the ball off the tee and Podrick ended up getting sent off mm-hmm. for 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 hitting me but I sort of I milked it a wee bit like but <laughs> he, yeah. he he hit me and 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 that that had a massive massive impact on me even though it even though after the, um, we were celebrating and drinking and things like that and everything looked great, but mentally that had a massive, massive impact on me. Like, what have I just done? Because I grew up dreaming, only dreaming of winning a championship with St. John's, especially with my brother. Um, and I still do. Like, uh, And I still probably won't forgive myself until... Until you do. Until, until I win a championship with St. John's. Um something that I think about every day still like so it's it's interesting isn't it? because as a as a player uh, an antrim you know player in antrim um there's been times when you have made headlines uh in, in that instance negative ones and then later as we're about to come to just incredible headlines about your warrior spirit and your heroism which we'll come on to in a wee minute but um we were talking about recovery um so you've transferred back to your home club um but you're still drinking and it's still a massive massive problem and you were telling me there about the moment when you decided right that that's it i i have to change yeah well that's a, yeah so and one of the boys said to me do you want to lift home i was out of the rucksack and i says no no i'm grand and uh At that stage, I had nowhere to go, Declan. Do you know what I mean? I was, I was, my hands were cut with everybody. I was avoiding everybody. And I went down to the rock bar, had a pint, and I left. I left after the rock. I had only about a tenner in my pocket. Like, and I literally didn't know what I was going to do. I was just, it was either one way or the other. I, I was, you have two options here, right? You, you, you go ahead with this and you, and, and, and you kill yourself or, or you try and get a bit of help. And, it's the first time that help even sort of came into my mind, you know, like, because I was always in denial that I had a problem or there was something wrong with me. It was sort of like, sure, nothing could ever bother me. But 
it, it was just like a light bulb moment that this it's, it's either one way or the other, it's one road or the other. And I went up um, to my grannies and I went in and said, listen, this is what I'm doing. And my mum was there at the time and I told them and, and blah, blah, blah. I went up to the doctors. Um, Kevin McFern, who's very, very good. Um, and then I rang a good club friend, um, Paddy Hannigan, who who was, who was who, who spent time in, 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 in Kiyomura. And I heard about this Kiyomura place where people go and get help for addictions and things like that. And he went there and he recommended it. So I phoned up and I asked him, could they take me? Um, and there was a two-week, there was a two-week waiting time to get into it. Um, so for them two weeks, I went and stayed in my cousin's house. Um, our Pierce and it was sort of more or less on house arrest you know um, because you have Kiyomar is a place where you have to go into sort of sober and clean you know so um, yeah but at, at, at that early stage I, once like once I get something in my head that's it you know I'm in and at that early stage I wanted to get the help and I went to Kiyomar and it's it's the best thing I've ever done yeah so what was it like in there? What did you learn about yourself? What what happened? Um, what did I learn about? Well, you, you go in, you, you go into Kiyomura and you spend two weeks in, a, in, a, in an assessment unit. Um, so basically, it's you're you're in this room two weeks and it's sort of like dry out. You know, you're left to sit in your own. There's not enough lot happening. You you're very very lonely and you're and, and there's people coming in off the drink and you're shaking and sweating and. And there's a courtyard about twenty, about ten meters by ten meters, or maybe a bit bigger. But that's literally all the space, all the air you got, all the walking you got for two full weeks, like. And that was hell. Um, every day I wanted to get out. I just wanted to leave the place, but there was something still in my head that listen, this is going to be worth it. Um, that that was terrible. But I suppose in then two weeks, it was the first time, probably in my life, that I was able to sit down and actually think why what what is going on here why am i sitting in here at, at 22 years of age this doesn't make sense there's there's one or two other people maybe around the same age as me but everyone else is a lot older what what, what have i done wrong where is it all gone wrong so as soon as i got that into my head i was uh, it, it was terrible because then the negative thoughts and stuff started to come in what have I done? I've done bad things. I've harmed people. But I got a book and a bit of paper and I just wrote down everything of why I think I'm here. And it was it was brilliant because then I was able to start talking about it, talking about how I really felt, not just as I've done in the past, go to counsellors just to tick the box or tell them what they wanted to hear, tell them what was really going on in my life, what really happened in my life, why, you know, and it was, I got a lot of great answers and a lot of things off my chest. And after them two weeks, you go up to, uh, you go up to the main St. Joseph's place and you spend, you spend, um, you spend 10 weeks up there. Um, and that's amazing. You do all different topics and stuff. Um, and which, is this did you, is this where you first encountered, went to your first AA meeting? Yes. And um, what did you make then of the program? Did you did you take to it completely? Did it take a while to settle in? How, how, how did that work? Um, well, I, the first AA meeting wasn't until maybe later on hmm. um, in, in, in that particular program. But in terms of AA, before I went to, to QMR, I went to one and I was always... I went to one meeting and I went in and I sat back in the chair 
and was going, I'm not as bad as him. I'm not as bad as him. I'm not as bad as, you know, and comparing myself and I walked out and it was a waste of time. Uh, so first day I'm actually being in the room and being like, do you know what? I am what I am. I'm not comparing myself to anyone else. I've messed up my life. A lot of people in here have messed up their lives. We're all here for a reason. And yeah, I learned a lot. Um, a lot of people can be iffy about AA. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is amazing. Um, and it's a good program. But I, I completely love the program that the Sister Concilio. Um, Sister Concilio is, was, is a nun. She's, she's a very old lady now. And she actually set up um, Kiyomura. Yes. herself and, and there's 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 a lot of uh Kiyomaras around Ireland um so she actually wrote out a program um and there's all different topics in that and I actually learned a lot a lot about myself doing, doing her program over the 12-week period that it was in that it was in Kiyomara. It's a very interesting thing to look yourself honestly in the eye isn't it because because not a lot of people do it people can go their whole lives without doing that and um even if you slightly set aside the addiction issues to, to to seriously look down at your life and the things that you've done wrong and the facets of your personality that work and the ones that don't work that's that's a very very valuable thing for anyone to do isn't it yeah i suppose i think that the hardest thing that i'm only speaking personally that i could do even now is to look myself in the mirror and say, are you being a totally honest with yourself here today? No, and no. I, I, do, I have to do it every day, Declan, I do, because before I couldn't even have looked at that person in the mirror. But even there's sometimes now and I get caught up in work and sport and my life just be constant and busy. Like I have to look at myself and go like, what, what are you at? You know, slow down a bit. You know, what's going on? You know, and uh, a lot of people don't, aren't, don't be honest with themselves. As you say. Maybe most people don't, maybe even. Yeah. Most people 100%. rock on through life. They're, you know, they're busy or they're not busy, but they don't really question themselves too much in the way that I think people who, who have gone through addiction tend to do. Because yeah, but so tell me then about so so the program you took to the program really well. At what point did you realize that? that you had changed or become a different person? I mean, does that happen in there or is it only after you get out where you have to road test it in the real world? Like, what's it like? What is the early stages of recovery like when you enter the real world? It's it's tough like, because there's no, there's, there's no denying that QMR, it's a bubble. Like, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? You've, you've no contact with the outside world. You've no TVs. You've no newspapers. You've nothing. Like, it's just you and the people who's in there so you have, you have visitors <laughs> you have visitors once a month so i had three visits in three months i was there um which is tough as well obviously you get a phone call on a saturday night for 10 minutes mm. um so that's basically it that's all the contact you have with the outside world so there's no doubt that you are living in a bubble but i needed to get away from the world to be able to get myself right mm. um and it's funny to say that when do you realize you're you, you changed or whatever um it's actually one of um, Sister Concilio's topics is without change, there is no recovery. So something needed to change, you know, and uh, my, my, probably my whole mentality towards life. I think after a couple of weeks, after I'd done them two tough weeks in assessment, once I went up there, I went up there with a clear vision that I'm going to do well. Um, 
and obviously a lot of different people have uh, you know in that place would have different goals and different things different inspirations or whatever but I had a, a clear goal and a clear vision in my head that I was going to be back playing for Antrim and that that gave me a good kickstart that Burnham Main back when, whenever I went in there I was 19 stone so you were 19 stone I was 19 stone like, what, so what height what height are you Six three, right. So you have you have plenty of height, but that you're still carrying a lot of weight there. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, and like a lot, do you know, and I probably carried it well enough, but it was still heavy. And obviously, you can't play for the county if you're nineteen stone. So that gave me a clear vision of right. This is what I want. And I started going out in the mornings. At, uh, I started going out in the mornings at five o'clock, doing runs before the nuns got up. <laughs> so it's something that you weren't actually allowed to do but it was something that had a clear thing in my head this is what I'm going to do this is how I'm going to do it and, I, and it was brilliant um, so yeah it was it was, it was was tough rewarding you know a lot of things I had to get off my chest I've done it i made a lot of good friends um, a lot of good GA people as well associated with QMware. Um but I, I, I don't there's no real moment a light bulb moment where I actually found out that it changed or anything it's it's very much a work in progress and even to, even today like you know you're constantly evolving or you're constantly trying to do things or you you know it's uh, you're constantly working on it you know what I mean it's never over like as you I think you touched on it there like there's no getting away from it you know so there's never a, never a time where I, I go geez I, I don't I no longer think about having a drink you know yeah, I could, yeah. do you know what I mean so it's it's good but like it, it, it very very talented them, but definitely the best the best place in the world. I think anyway, it's amazing. It's funny just speaking to you. Um, I mean, I knew you you would be a single minded person because I think to be a successful sportsman or woman, you need single mindedness. And and it seems in in some ways that you were very single minded when you were drinking about drink, and and then you were very single minded about recovery. Uh, would you, is that a fair enough comment? Do you think it probably is, but I. I uh, I think I was more selfish when I was drinking. Mm. Um, whereas now, I, I actually, that's what probably one one of my traits is that I'm sort of, sort of kind of single minded. Like if I want something, I'll get it. You mm. know, and I suppose, and uh, even in work life, something that I'd never even batted an eyelid at before was what I'm going to do for my career because obviously I messed up the teaching side of things in, in St Mary's and I thought I, I probably could have went back and done that but even in, in, my, in my workplace now in HomeFit um, you know I started off in the yard there 18 months 18 months ago and now I'm manager of accounts and looking after all, all, the, all, the, all the contracts so in an 18 month period I think I've done alright you know and that's where that single name this comes in is that I, I seen something there that I wanted and, I, I, and I've got it like so maybe a bit impatient too technically <laughs> well I mean yeah that's also I think a, a facet of of successful sports people but the um, I mean let, let's talk now then about life as you know it now um, because one of the things you hear uh, about Alcoholics Anonymous, or I, I think it might be, I can't remember, I'm not really sure if it's the founders. He said, you know, it, it's about living a life beyond your wildest dreams. And, and the life that you are living now, even if we're only talking about sport, whatever about the job and all your relationships, uh, what you've achieved since you've come back 
to top level hurling has been absolutely extraordinary. And for those of, for those who don't know, um, St John's were in the semi final against Lockgill Shamrocks uh, last season. You dislocated your elbow. You played on in the game. You didn't come off, and you scored three goals and three points. Now, can you just tell me about that? That made headlines the length and breadth of Ireland. Um, and it just exemplified a kind of crazy warrior spirit that everyone was just captivated by. I, and I'm just so interested in that incident. I mean, do you think, like, obviously you're playing through excruciating pain. I don't know. Talk to me about it. Is, it, is this like the kind of climax of everything you've been through? Or why did you play on? I don't really, I don't really know. But that, that at the time... When my elbow came out, it, 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 there was a scream. You could even hear it in a the video. There was a mad scream, for, and it was it was it was very painful as you can imagine. But at the time, I, I, I didn't really think about it much. You know, it wasn't even an option. They were trying to take me off, and I said, "Don't even think about it." But and then obviously all that happened, and I'd done quite well in the game. And then I suppose after it, I was disappointed because obviously we got beat. But I think in reflection, I actually sat down and was thinking about it a couple of weeks later and I went, you know what, I've actually, I'm actually quite proud of myself because that's not just I went out there and, 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 and given a performance. It was actually a reflection of where I'm at, yeah. you know, where my head's at, what, what, what I've been through. And, and I suppose, and I, I'd be lying if I thought about it at the time, but I suppose the amount of, of, of things that I've been through before that game, having a dislocated elbow was, wasn't was anything really, do you know what I mean? It was a great reflection of what, what of where my head's at, that mm. I'll not let anything get in the way of my dreams. Yeah. And, and, and I suppose I still have them dreams today and, yeah, it's a nice moment and it's a nice thing to do. And, and I was obviously very proud and my family were very, very proud of that performance. Yeah. And, and and even there was individuals in St. John's, like Andy McCallum. Andy McCallum is is a hero. He's like, Anthem's only ever a football all-star. Me and him are very, very close. And even him come to me and, and, and saying to me about the performance and, and stuff like that. And, you know, it, it obviously meant a lot to me. Um, But I think reflecting on it, it was a good, as I said there, it was really... You know, this is where I'm at now. This is where my head's at. That yeah. you have something in your head that you want to do, you can do it. I said, I said in in the introduction to this podcast that it, in many ways your life feels like a, a movie script, um, and that would be a kind of, I think, towards the climax of the movie that, that that performance in that game was just extraordinary. And because for those of us, for those people listening who don't know the game of hurling. I mean, you need you need two hands and two arms to play hurling. You can't play it with one, with one. But you did, and you scored three three. And I remember there was one, there was one knock on that came over and overhead, and you literally couldn't move. Was it your left? You couldn't move your left elbow, and you scored with that one hand. It's just this extraordinary. Yeah, and some of them things I've never even done before. Like it was just no, pure instinct and pure, like in the moment. And uh... incredible. Yeah, it was it was it was smart. <laughs> and, then, and then, of course, you know the, the even the the, the huge success uh, with Antrim in the McDonough Cup final. Um, you came on in the final. I mean, that must have just after everything you had been through, that must have just been so sweet that victory. Yeah, it was definitely a full circle moment, Declan. Better, you know. Yeah, it was just even. Uh, 
I'm so happy that I got that photo um, <laughs> with Darren. Like, you know, even yeah. though it, I, I was saying living in the moment and stuff, that was amazing. But, you know, me, even warming up, myself and Neil, Neil McManus, we'd be very good friends. Yeah, and, I know I know Neil as well. He's a great yeah, friend. Yeah, and we were warming up at the same time. And I remember just two seconds before... Uh, Two seconds before we were about to go on, we were shouldering each other, and we both looked at each other in the eye and we said, We're ready for this. And we were laughing to each other, like, you know, you can imagine going on a crook park. So it was, I wasn't even nervous. I was so excited and so happy and so just sort of, it was a, it was a full circle moment. And when that final whistle went, it was, I just took a look up in the sky and it was just like, you know what? Life's good. Like, you know, it is. And, and to think that, to think that two years ago that I was debating or contemplating killing myself and, and ending this whole thing early, you know, I was just so happy and so relieved and so so many mixed emotions. It was, yeah, it was great. That was it was a great great feeling and and, and it's given me it's given me um it's given me medicine for more. Like I want more, you know. And uh, as you say about that single maintenance, like I don't want to be coming on now next year. You know what I mean? I want to be there from the start and I've been working hard now over the winter to try and get there and you know, to get everything right. And I've got my elbow right again and stuff like that. So it was definitely a great moment. But at the same time, what I used to do and what I'd done was six years was rest on it and live off it and things like that. That's not mm. happening. You know, I'm yeah, not going to make that mistake again. I'm, I'm uh, at, yeah. at park night, you know, my granny has the photo in a frame in her living room and that will do and I'll just keep going. <laughs> it is it is a photo that many people have, have framed. As I said at the beginning, it's an iconic photo. But but you do also get the sense uh, with you personally and also with that Antrim team that things are just beginning. You know, it's a, it's a young team, very, very confident. You get the sense that that victory was just the start of something, really. Oh, yeah. And it has to be. You know, we'll have to build on it, Declan. Um, it was... As, as, as I said at the start, it is like a club team. We're all missing each other at the minute. Um, obviously not being able to train together. Um, but with a WhatsApp there and we group and we're all still keeping in touch. But it has to be the, the start of something. And I know there is a lot of work being done in Antrim, especially with Gale Fast and yeah. things like that. Um, you know, so the, the right people are in place. Um you know, Anton McCaffrey there is doing very well in yeah. Galefast. And uh, Darren Gleason is obviously your manager. And then you have people like Tony Shivers who are knocking about the background, um, helping and facilitating things. So Antrim, Antrim Hurling um, is, is in a very good place structurally, yeah. Declan. So it's, it's it's up to us. Everything's put in place for us to go on and push on. And and, and I imagine the start is, is to bring more happiness to families and bring more happiness to clubs and well, well, be, them, be, be role models, you know? That's what it's about, isn't it? I mean, my my son, Patrick, I, I coach his under-11 team here in St. Bridget's in South Belfast and Breed Oak. Um, and we, uh, you know, all of those kids were watching all of those games and, of course, the final totally inspired just couldn't wait to get back to training you know and that's, yeah. that's what it's about really that those are going to be the next generation of antrim hurlers and to see you guys doing that that's that's the future really yeah big time um so uh my final question i suppose well usually what i do at this point in the podcast at the very end is just uh, sum up some of the things you've said that have inspired you and i i note funnily enough that with you they're all people um, it's all people that you've talked. You've talked about your granny, Mary, uh, Emer, uh, your girlfriend. Uh, crucially, your uncle Eamon, who you you take with you in your heart always, and 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 physically too to matches. And Paddy Hannigan, uh, your 
clubmate and associate there. And also I've written down Sister Consuela and the, uh, the program that she invented and that has changed, I guess, thousands of lives across Ireland in terms of addiction treatment. I'm going to add in the sport of hurling there too. Is there, is there anything or anyone else that I've missed? Yeah, and Andy McCallum's a big one too. I think I touched on him during the podcast. Andy McCallum. Uh, yeah, he, he, so, he was so successful, obviously, in hurling football. Like, but even whenever I got out of Concilios, I went and stayed with him for two weeks. Um, you know, him and his wife, Josephine, are very, very good, very good people. Um, and have been very good to me. Um, even now, with a wee project on at the minute, we're taking St. John's Senior Commodes. So that's that's me and Andy's wee gig at the minute. Uh, so uh, that that's going well, and it's great working with him, and great to be able to be in a position to do things like that. And you know, we're getting on great. And no, I love Andy to bits. He's me and him are very very close to yeah. Well, Andy and uh, and his wife Josephine are, are also on your your list of yeah. Um, Donald Nugent, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, it uh, your your life story so far at just twenty four does feel like a movie and if you ever want anyone to write that movie i am available <laughs> <laughs> i'm available as well <laughs> good good well i'll get my people to talk to your people uh, listen it's been, it's been a total pleasure and I, I look forward to seeing you playing in person soon when I, I can take some of the some of the kids to the next game definitely give me a shout and i'll have to look at them into the change room hopefully when everything's all back and normal again perfect all right, it's been a pleasure thanks Cheers. for telling us your story all the best Cheers, thanks